you know, when you are um, in charge of an institution and I was a, a CEO of the bank, you know, when you have doubts, you cannot communicate your doubts to the team members uh, because then, uh, you know, they will feel that the leadership is not here and is not leading. So the, the leader has to lead and, um, you know, cannot show any doubts uh, at any time. And if you have doubt as a CEO, it's a bit difficult from time to time to communicate with your board as well because your board can say, well, the CEO does not know what to do, so is he up to the task? Welcome, I'm your host, Stefan and this is When Leaders Talk, a podcast about leadership and most importantly, about leaders. The guest of today's episode is Jean-Pierre Moustier. Jean-Pierre is one of the most prominent figures in the banking ecosystem, not just in France, where he's coming from, but in Europe, and I would say worldwide. The pivotal moment in his career it was when he joined Unicredit, a very important bank in Europe, and later became CEO. And uh, with Unicredit, he has obtained great results through a very important transformations. And actually, his career in, uh, in the banking system is very peculiar, not just for the results he has achieved, but the way he has achieved the result, these results. He's very focused on ethical decision-making, leading by example and innovation. I would say that the, the characteristic of his leadership are basically resilience, open-mindedness to, as I said, innovation and, and new approaches and much more. So I'm sure that you will enjoy this episode that is very uh, special and full of great insights and food for thoughts. But before I leave the floor to Jean-Pierre, please subscribe to this channel because in this way we can have great guests like Jean-Pierre and we can keep the conversation going on leadership and explore even more. And also you can follow me on other social media like LinkedIn, like Facebook, Instagram. So with no further ado, Jean-Pierre Moustier. So Jean-Pierre, the question that I start with this podcast is uh, the same, and is, is uh, what is your definition of leadership? Well, I think uh, leadership is first leading by example. When you ask, uh, you know, colleagues at work or you know people when you are doing uh, any kind of uh, actions or exercise, you know, if uh, you want people to follow you you need to do to yourself what you ask others to do, basically. And so for me, leadership is leading by example, motivating the people you work with uh, to come with you and make sure that, uh, you know, when they do so, you know, they can be properly rewarded, not rewarded on a financial point of view, but rewarded in terms of appreciation that you can communicate uh, to people so that they feel that uh, what they've been doing is something which is uh, the right thing. I mean, your unique experience is um, pretty much focused or concentrated, if you want, in the banking system, where actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are a lot of forces pulling. So leading by example must be 
difficult at times, right? Um, I'm sure that there are political issues, not just economical issues, but also political personalities coming and asking for things. How do you navigate those challenges, the big, those big challenges? I think the, you know, I mean, in a bank, but in any other institution, you know, you can have a different type of stakeholders who are not internal stakeholders. I mean, by internal stakeholders, I mean clients or team members or shareholders. So, but, um, you know, you have to deal with all stakeholders. What is extremely important, of course, for a, a private institution is to manage um, its uh, clients, internal uh, stakeholders, meaning the team members and the shareholders in the proper way. And uh, beside the clients, an institution has uh, human capital and financial capital. And the human capital is probably, I mean, you know, the most important to a certain extent. If you don't have the human capital, the financial capital cannot work. So that's a sine qua non condition for things to be successful. The client can, can come second, of course. So, you know, what is important is, um, first of all, both for the client the team members and the shareholders to explain in simple words what is the vision or what you want to do. But usually the vision does not have to be something complicated. It needs to be something simple. And if you do something and you explain something simple, just for instance, what you just do, but in simple words, then people, clients, uh, team members and shareholders understand what you do, understand what you want to do, and they follow you. That's the first thing. And the second thing is to put things in perspective in the way on how you do things. And um, you know, just to give a, a sense of uh, ethic, if you want, or behaviors uh, toward the client and also toward the team members. And so if you combine the vision, but which is more, you know, which direction do we go? And um, you know, how we go there? And uh, you know what? What are our values? Basically, you can do things very simply. And to be concrete, because when I hear vision or values, I, I feel consultants or you know something which might be a little bit superficial. No, let's be very very concrete. Is um, the banks uh, I was uh, working on? No, I always try to give a vision. You know, for instance, in uh, my latest bank, you know, said, well, simple pan-European bank focused at serving our client thanks to our network. One sentence, okay? But uh, when people hear that, they know that we, have, we are simple, so we don't think which are too concrete. Pan-European focused about uh, serving the client thanks to our network. That's enough. Then in terms of ethic, you need to have few words uh, in order to you know, explain what you do when I'm saying ethics values. And so uh, uh, for us, you know, it was only uh, two words, ethics and respect, and one principle, do the right thing. You know, instead of having six values, we say we put the client in the center of the organization, we do this, we do that, that uh, you know, everybody else uh, is using. If you have something simple, which is we do the right thing, which applies to the client and to the team members, then you give with the vision a direction and we do the right thing, the way to do things. It's simple and everybody understand you can use that with all the stakeholders. Well, doing the right thing is, it, it is a simple uh, instruction, if you want, but still, you know, actually 
discerning what is right and what is wrong that's what is complicated at times right because i guess they might you might find yourself in a in a moment where conflicting values if you want um and uh, uh so it's it's hard to understand really what a, what, a, what the, it's a blur line between the right and wrong so what are the values actually talking about this what are the values that you use your north star as a north star as a reference point i know you you like boats and then and, and, and sailing so like what, what what is your compass basically well as i said do the right thing with the motto if you want the principle but we are the two um you know two words before ethics and respect so we need to behave in an ethical way with our clients and with our team members and we have to respect our clients and our team members and of course uh, our shareholders so i think it's uh, you know what i was telling the team members which i apply as well in, in life is uh, when you're faced with a choice which could be a difficult one is uh, do i behave in an ethical way first of all and you know which kind of interaction can i have with others is it respectful and uh, is it done in a proper manner and so if you do that you do the right thing and i think you know when you're faced with a, a, a difficult issue you tell yourself i'm not going to do something which is against the interest of the firm or against the interest of other people but just do it and um, you know if it's not what i like if it goes against my own interest it doesn't matter I do the right thing. And so it was an easy compass for the team members when they were asking me, but what shall I do? Say, do the right thing. But what is it? Hey, think about what you feel is the right thing. And, you know, people just uh, get that. And I thought they, they behave in such a way. And it's important, you know, for an institution, then the team members can go to the client and say, in our firm, we do the right thing. It's a very powerful message, specifically for a bank, because, you know, people say bankers, you know, I mean, there's all these, you know, bad reputation or bad image of bankers. But if you, you know, say, I do the right thing, then you build up, you know, a perception and a reputation. And that's actually, that's what creates a strong culture in an organization. Once you yeah. have the values well-defined and clear, and once you have the behaviors that actually do comply with those values, you know, they refer, everything is done looking at those values as uh, the, a strict reference, then the culture is strong. And that's why, as you said earlier, leadership is leading by example, is giving the example and let the other get inspired and motivated by your own actions. And uh, I mean, in your career, you went through very difficult moments. And I, I would like you to ask you to share uh, an episode of your life or your professional life in which actually it's been hard to keep those values and to keep your course straight because everything else was pretty much, I'm not saying falling apart, but you know, quite kind of, you find yourself on a rough sea. Yes. Well, you um, always find yourself in a rough sea at one stage in, in a career. So, you know, what I think is important is to understand that a career in whatever institution, you know, can never be linear. You can never go one step after another and improve all the time. And from time to time, you have setback. 
And what is important is actually to rebound and to rebuild uh, what you've been doing. You know, it was a, a German philosopher uh, who was saying, what does not kill you makes you stronger. It was Nietzsche who was saying that. And I, and I do believe uh, that is absolutely true. And that in life, you become stronger and better what we do, uh, what you do if you have setbacks, because that's when you, you learn, basically. If you're always successful, you know, you believe in what you do and then you fail in a miserable way. So, you know, having setbacks and challenging yourself is actually important. So it happens all the time. But let me give you uh, an example of 42 years ago uh, and then a, a recent one uh, about leading by example. I was um, studying in a military school and so I did one year of military service um, you know, as part of my studies. And when I joined the regiment, we were trained to be officers in three months. So you can see the level of expertise we had, which was very, very good. <laughs> but um, so I arrived in my regiment and, uh, you know, uh, the, some of the team members in my platoon, which have been put in charge, were not behaving properly. So I told them, you're going to do push-up. You see that push-ups, you know, is a way in the regiment just to get people, you know, uh, aligned. And so I had 30 guys doing push-ups and I was counting, you know. And then the you know, general in charge or the colonel in charge of the, the regiment was walking by and he looked at me and he said, young man, when you punish your team, you have to do the punishment with them. And that was a good lesson in life, actually, about leading by example. You know, you, um, the team does not behave properly. We do 50 push-ups. You start doing the push-ups, actually, and you have to do them better than them just to lead by example. That was a very early life example. But um, afterwards, um, it's, um, you know, about going through difficult situations, which um, are, you know, tough for an institution and you know I joined a, a bank um, in, uh, in Italy um, in, uh, almost uh, 10 years ago now and the bank was in an extremely tough situation where we had to raise a lot of capital, cut a lot of costs, uh, ask a lot of people to leave, almost 20% of the workforce, it was like 20,000 people so it's a, it's a lot of people basically and when you think about it you know, you feel that it's something which can be very demotivating. But, you know, we work with all the team members, with the union, we explain what we were doing. You know, we raise the capital, we sold the asset we need to sell, we adjust uh, things, we work using, you know, early retirement in order to make sure that people can just evolve without, uh, you know, having a behavior which was not socially acceptable. Of course, under immense pressure from, uh, you know, all the stakeholders. But, you know, at that stage, you just have to, you know, do what you think is the right thing because you will have comments, advice, pressure not to do the, the things, basically, which can be painful. But nevertheless, you know, and, um, you know, the nevertheless mean that the most difficult thing was to, you know, say, okay, we need to cut costs in this institution. So it means asking some people to go, how do we do that in a you know, socially and humanly acceptable way? Because that's a, a, you know, a personal drama if you do that. And I think that was for me the, the most difficult thing to do, which is to, you know, under financial constraints, you create some human issues. And is finance really a reason to create human issues or not? And how can you do that you know, in, in a way? Uh, which uh, would be acceptable. So that that was uh, that was tough, but um, you know, I um, I think uh, you know doing it properly is um, you know the, the right way to behave in such case. It is tough. It is tough. You know, and actually, 
these kind of decisions, those decisions that have a, an impact on other humans, human lives actually can have also a great impact. So ethical decision-making is something that is so human and stays in the human dimension of leadership. And despite all the tools that we have today, despite all the I don't know, artificial intelligence or whatever, that's where the leader uh, is still very much human, as I said, and also quite alone. I don't know if you share this, the loneliness, the, 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 the concept of loneliness of leaders in the moment you have to decide this. I don't know if you have ever experienced uh, something like that. No, it's, it's, of course it's uh, true that, um, you know, when you are um, in charge of an institution and I was a, a CEO of the bank, you know, when you have doubts, you cannot communicate your doubts to the team members. Uh, because then, uh, you know, they will feel that the leadership is not here and is not leading. So the, the leader has to lead and, um, you know, cannot show any doubt uh, at any time. And if you have doubt as a CEO, it's a bit difficult from time to time to communicate with your board as well, because your board can say, well, the CEO does not know what to do. So is he up to the task, you know, and uh, is he going to give her the right advice? So. From time to time, you might be faced with a, a situation where, you know, you might or you might not do what to do. But if you, you know, open up to people, you listen to people to get um, their views, and um, you know, rather than expressing a doubt, you know, being uh, open and um, you know, getting advice and then deciding. The worst thing for a leader is not to decide, but having listened to others not necessarily, you know, getting from your first uh, impression, which can be always wrong, uh, being able to amend what you think you should be doing based on the feedback, then, you know, you can overcome your doubts uh, and, uh, and move ahead. But I think that, um, you know, this is uh, uh, something which can be as well uh, managed in different ways. And at a difficult time, um, uh, you know, during uh, the, the crisis we had, uh, you know, just uh, uh, after COVID, uh, where the situation was a bit tense and situation with um, my board uh, was a bit tense as well. You know, I, I used a, a psychologist who was um, somebody training a sportsman uh, during a high level competition, basically. And um, so we were having discussions about, um, you know, how to interact with the team in very tense and difficult situation in sports, which applies to business as well. And I think them to be able to exchange with somebody, not about your core business issues, but about how, what do I do in order to get the team work with me, you know, is important and useful. And for quite a while, I felt that by doing that, I would be weak. But in fact, you know, you're not weak if you ask for advice of somebody and you can share your doubts. The only thing is to be able to share your doubts with the right person um, and, be, and not with people who will feel that there is an issue. So, you know, uh, I think uh, one has to agree that uh, you can not always know what to do. You have to have the humility to put yourself, uh, you know, into question about, do I do the things which are the, the right ones, you know, just doing the right things, but doing, you know, things which are right ones, slightly different, and uh, get advice from others, you know, both from a business point of view, but also from a, you know, uh, emotional intelligence point of view in terms of the interaction with the different parties you have to interact. 
I I totally agree on what you just said. It is uh, there is this concept of leading by vulnerability. That it doesn't mean to really, as you say, you know, uh, show your doubts everywhere. But understanding that you don't have all the information, you have your problems, you have doubts, as you said, but also doing something about it. So you, as you mentioned, you know, asking to the right person, asking the, the people you trust, for example, or they know they can help you, and then you solve the problem, and then you, you show the leader that you are, the strong leadership that you need to drive a very complex organization like i guess a bank and i have no experience of course in banking but i guess is uh you know there are a lot of implications in in a decision uh, coming from the leader the ceo for example of the italian bank that you mentioned and one of the things that i know you use is this being open to innovation right you know trying to find also a different way to approach things um, I, I don't know if there is any example that you can mention here on how innovation actually um, or thinking in a different way helped you in your career. I think that, um, um, you know, you, you have um, to, to think laterally and to look at what uh, others are doing best to see if it applies to yourself. And uh, that could be in the way to manage people, that could be in a way to handle a certain number of issues or in, in a way to, to look at, uh, you know, uh, different development. So, um, you know, let, let me give you a few examples, basically. Uh, one, uh, which is uh, about, um, you know, what is the, you know, the, the kind of, um, you know, best optimization you could have in an organization, which has usually every organization has, uh, complex processes. And so, you know, you can look at trying to simplify things. And so when I was young, um, I was uh, using something which was, you know, developed by General Electric and its, uh, you know, CEO uh, at the time, Jack Welch, which was the Six Sigma approach. And so, you know, we, we looked at it and, you know, we tried to, uh, you know, train our team members by having them, you know, learning the Six Sigma approach and, and being trained, basically, which at the time, and now it's um, Six Sigma is, you know, everybody knows about it, but at the time it was a little bit new and you needed to have the proper approach. And it was very interesting because it was, uh, you know, getting people who were involved in, in a process just to work together in order to solve it. And um, you have a, a, a virtual circle, meaning that when you get a group of people to try to solve the problem, then they can apply the methodology or the approach to other problems, basically, uh, and move ahead. So that was an um, you know, interesting development, and, and we, we did that. More recently, what I've been you know, doing uh, was to um, involve younger people in an organization. I think it's uh, very important uh, to, um, you know, rely and trust young people in organization who could have a different view, specifically at a time where technology is changing and uh, maybe people who are more expertise, you know, have a, a very strong asset, which is their expertise, but the liability, which is that they usually are very slow to be willing to change their, their behaviors because they've been doing things for 10 years and you know why should I do things differently as it has been working? It's the usual thing. And if you take young people in an organization of a different part of the organization, if you interact with them and give them a mission and say, look, we have a process to, um, to review and to optimize. 
you're part of the front office, the back office, the IT side, the accounting side. You work together and you try to come back to see how you could improve that. Then you empower a, young, uh, a group of young people who have the energy and the willingness to look at things differently. And they will come up with a solution and then it's, it's a snowball effect because you can ask other people to do it. They see that it's something where, you know, the management is interesting. Then the manager see that younger people in the organization are looking at changing things. So they have to look at it as well because, the, you know, the example is not coming from the top. It's coming from, you know, the, 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 the middle managers or the younger people and that's it. So that's a way to change things uh, as well. And the last one is about using technology. So now, when you speak about artificial intelligence, yes, it's uh, you know the, the the buzzword of the day. But a few years ago, before AI was a, a thing uh, of the day, you know we were willing to look at solving a specific problem in, in the bank for marketing to um, uh, to clients. And I met the CEO of a company which was uh, a bit uh, controversial at the time, maybe still is uh, the CEO of Palantir at an event in Germany. Palantir is this data company, which is very good at what they do. And, um, you know, they have a reputation because they, they've been working with the CIA in terms of data management. So when people say, oh, is it a right arm of, uh, you know, the you know the, the US and whatever. I mean, Palantir is a private company right? and, and they are very good. And so I asked him, what do you do for banks? He said, oh, not much. So they worked with us and did two things which were very interesting. One is in banks, but in many companies, your set of data is not homogeneous. So you have a various database, basically, which don't speak together. And so they put a layer on top of all these database in order to create a, a massive data lake, but using database which were not communicating together. It's a first start because when you want to use technology, you no know, information technology, it's information. So you have to have access to data and the data has to make sense, basically. And then they allowed us, or as part of their offering or their service, they allowed us to use their engine in terms of, uh, I mean, machine learning engine. Now you call that not machine learning, but artificial intelligence. And we started to apply that to marketing, but also to control. And, uh, you know, then the team members learn how to use that. And then, you know, they came up with you know, very clever ideas about it. So there it was about, you know, breaking a taboo technology could help and then applying it and, um, you know, convincing people that machine by themselves can do things, but they are not going to replace human. Human by themselves can do things, but machine plus human is the right solution in order to be able to make progress. And we should not reject the machine, if I may say, or in this sense, you know, the machine learning uh, software and, uh, you know, data lake uh, for reasons which might not be the right ones. Yeah, and as, as you mentioned earlier, you know the the uh, the oh we the sentence I we I have always done like this is a killer of performance, especially today where, as you mentioned, technology is evolving so rapidly, and now artificial intelligence is everywhere. So we need to learn. It's very important how to learn, that we need to learn how to use those new tools because artificial intelligence is a tool, no more than that and uh, also adapt to it because it has an impact. I mean, we cannot just say that artificial intelligence would not change things. Of course, it would change many things. Um, I think the, the, 
I will, I will define it. A winning mentality is really, okay, this is happening. There is nothing I can do to stop it, but I can adapt my way of doing things to use it at best. And I can change my way also to uh, work to still have an impact and some agency on the results of my organization or company, whatever it is. And what do you, what do you say? Let me interrupt you on that because oh, sure. I fully agree with what you said. There's one thing with artificial intelligence or with you know, machine learning, um, whatever name you use, which is important, which is the ethical approach. So in other words, um, one has to be very careful about one, the use of such system, which can be used in wrong ways to you know recreate uh, fake interviews of people because now you can fake uh, you know the voice you can face the image of people and uh, do things where you manipulate opinions and we have seen that with the trolls you know being sent by you know different countries to interact with uh, elections or with uh, you know uh, uh, other topic uh, concerning country but as well the ethical approach is to make sure in the, the case of uh, artificial intelligence, maybe let's uh, take a concrete example, being used to um, you know, run credit process to you know, uh, extend credit to a client, that the machine in itself does not have a bias. So it's very difficult ex ante to see if the machine has a bias, but the machine is learning and there could be some data which create a bias willingly or unwillingly, but most of the time it's unwillingly. So, you know, checking that uh, the machine does not have in itself, um, you know, an ethical bias. It's a bit strange to mention machine and ethics in the same time because the machine does not think and clearly does not know what is ethics, but the outcome of what the machine does could have an ethical bias, basically. And to check that ex ante is difficult, but ex post is absolutely necessary. So with artificial intelligence, having the proper ethical guidelines uh, would be very important. We have seen recent events at um, uh, uh, different companies, you know, where, you know, the people wanted to slow down the development to make sure that, you know, they can be compatible with, um, you know, human, um, you know, behaviors, human nature, and don't go too quickly without assessing the impact. I think it makes a lot of sense. But I mean, so is it slowing down things or is it putting the right guidelines? Not necessarily asking the states to do that because, you know, we, you know, human beings have to take the initiative first rather than relying on the state to define the guidelines. And for a company, you know, this ethical interaction and, uh, you know, it would be even more important in the future because of that, because you might lose a little bit the control of the ethical angle of what you do. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think one of, one of the case study, one of the most uh, famous case studies, to one of Amazon talking about biases, you know, because the Amazon used um, some artificial intelligence for recruiting people, and they found out that the, the artificial intelligence was discriminating against women and, and minorities just because the database that was uh, built upon was contaminated itself. Basically, I guess the recruiting system in Amazon has always been more favorable towards white men than anything else. And that's that's how the machine has learned, right? And that's where the uh, the problem comes. And, and the ethical, so um, defining an ethical framework on how to use artificial intelligence within a company 
is also a great way to um, build trust on artificial intelligence, you know, because I guess many, many people, even employees might have a kind of um, skeptical approach to it because they don't want to lose their job. But having a clear idea of what the machine can or cannot do or what you can do with the machine or you cannot do with the machine is great. And this goes what, on what goes back on what you said earlier about leading by example, because the leader is the first one who has to show how to use the artificial intelligence and most importantly, how not to use it. You know, what is what is the things that you don't want to do with that? That's um, that's um, I would say uh, um, the the fundamental piece for thinking about introducing artificial intelligence tools in an organization. That's actually one of the things I discuss in a workshop that I I uh, hold on this on this matter. So thank you. It's, it's been really um, a great uh, issue on 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 this. Well, but. Um, talking about, you, you, I want to go back on one you said earlier, you know, because you have done uh, um, a one year, if I'm wrong, of military service, right? So it's, it's kind of uh, a short period. And yet, is there something that you have learned in the military, other than leading by example, doing push-ups, I guess, <laughs> about beyond that, you know, something that helped you um, to be the great leader that you are right now? No, I'm not a grid leader and I'm not an executive anymore. But uh, yes, it, it was a very short period, but very decisive, if I may say, in my um, personal and emotional uh, education, in a sense that um, when you're very young, I was 20, you have a team of uh, uh, professional uh, uh, soldiers who are all older than you. You, you need to build their trust and um, you need to make decisions on topics on which you don't have necessarily all the information and all the expertise. So you have to get the advice of uh, people who are your subordinates, but um, you know about what they think we should do, how to do it. And you need as well to make sure that um, the team or, or the platoon, you know, just uh, achieve everything and, um, you know, that the last one will uh, make it to, to the end, basically. And so, you know, the, the concept of uh, you know, motivating people, making decisions, making sure that the team is going to succeed by having the weakest members of the team, you know, coming to the rival lane, you know, is uh, something which um, has been, um, you know, very important uh, to be applied afterwards in a company. At the same time, it gives you principle of discipline, and principle of execution, you know, you have to be disciplined and, um, in, in the army. But uh, when, um, you know, I was a paratrooper and um, you have to be disciplined because if you're not disciplined, you can die, basically, you know, when you jump out of a plane. But, um, you know, you have as well to execute and, um, you know, you cannot be in the army with a platoon and, um, you know, not making a decision and thinking about it for a few days. You know, you get the information and if it, even if it's not the best decision, or even if it's wrong, you have to make a decision. And that was as well something which uh, was very important uh, uh, to me. Beyond the, the values of, um, you know, the, the respect uh, that I learned, you know, of, um, you know, respecting uh, everybody, 
you know, and uh, everybody with the team and, you know, the push-up with the team where, you know, you're unhappy about something, but if you're unhappy, you have to do things with uh, with everybody. And so that's, um, you know, something which lasted with me. And I'm um, just, um, you know, would like to comment about one thing, which um, is uh, leading by example is not only, you know, behaving properly, it's also taking actions with you, which, um, you know, can be unpleasant, but that you have to take. And, uh, uh, you know, and in the army, you learn that, basically. But, you know, when I joined the, the bank where I was chief executive, you know, I knew we needed to restructure the bank. I knew we needed to ask people to go. So leading by example for me was before I joined to say, I'm going to cut my remuneration by 40% because I think that we are going to have to ask people to make sacrifice. We are going to ask people to lead the bank. And so, you know, I need to show that I'm going to work with them, you know, and um, that, um, you know, I'm going to, to take actions as well uh, against me, if I may say, you know, cutting your salary is nothing like, you know, losing your job, but it showed that uh, you have some kind of solidarity with people. And we applied that as well during COVID where management team and myself decided to give um, you know, our remuneration to some cause supporting people who were affected by COVID, so medical staff in hospital or people or families being impacted. So, you know, the military, I think, uh, learns you and uh, teaches you about uh, discipline, about execution, and about solidarity as well. And uh, these were values that I, I kept for myself in my professional life. I like solidarity. I think I think the, I mean I've been in the military a little bit longer compared to you, <laughs> only thirty-one years. But you know, the one thing that I really have characterize, I would say, my, my leadership development is the team building, the working in a team. Um, and I guess, I mean, in the, in the Navy, you have the crew that is really a complex, it's a team of teams, you know, as uh, General McChrystal would say. And it, it is, you know, a different part of the ship. They, they, they Basically, despite they are confined in the same piece of metal, <laughs> the ship is just a big piece of metal. But at the end of the day, they move along, they do things in, a, in parallel and they work together. And all together comes um, results actually in an effective ship. If, of course, the leadership of the, the, the ship is strong enough and good enough and then is able to keep everyone together because you have people within your team and everyone is bringing their problems there. Everyone is bringing their weaknesses or as, as well as the strength and skills and the good things, you know, and you cannot really separate the professional from them, from the, the, the family member, from the father or the mother, right? It's all together. It's all combined. And the challenge of a leader is to look at the person as a whole. Not just as the professional, you you hope is uh, cold blooded probably or doesn't have any any problem back home, but it's not like that. It's it's and at times, especially when you are away for a long time or when you work a lot, I'm I'm sure that you have had projects that require uh, long hours and even in the office. That's when you need to really. Uh, express your solidarity, you know, as you say, you know, and probably I might add really establishing some um, strong, stronger relationship, you know, using more empathy to understand what's going on on the other person. It's not, it's not always easy, right? And 
urgency, emergency, and, and uh, difficult situations um, sometimes tests your ability of leading by example and being, uh, being um, uh, so open to, to understand the other, the other, the individual that you have in front of us. But I have a question about discipline, and then this, I know it's a weird question, but I because the military, the military culture is a structure on strong discipline, right? So it's it's either you follow the rule or you get punished in a way or another. It can be push-ups, as you as you mentioned, or or not. Um, I have a question. Do you think? this type of discipline this way of enforcing rules is still necessary today or can it be replaced with more trying to inspire more motivate more so people follow the rules i would say by their own choice more than by being obliged to i think that the you know if you put a, a set of rules and you oblige people to follow them, you know, you know you're not going to be successful, basically. And, uh, you know, you need to make sure that people adhere fully to, you know, the, the goal of the company and, uh, you know, to the objective you have. And uh, by doing that, they will follow the rule, basically. So if you have a, a repressive action rather than a positive action, it's not going to be successful in terms of uh, dynamic while. I mean, you, uh, you know, my very small stint in the army showed me that uh, in the army you might not have the, the choice from time to time, but just to you know, be repressive because otherwise it's a matter of life or death. So you, you cannot, um, you know, discuss and whatever. Not that I was uh, ever exposed to such issues, but, you know, that's uh, the, the, the way it could be. So I think in, in a company, you might have some issues where, you know, you have to be extremely disciplined, specifically when uh, you take risk in the bank, when, um, you know, you manage capital, but, you know, your capital is here for you to take risk in terms of credit, in terms of uh, financial market, in terms of operational risk. So there the discipline is extremely important. But the right to make mistakes is important as well. But, you know, the right to make mistakes should not be confused with, uh, you know, weakness of the management not um, you know taking action if uh, mistakes are made on a repetitive basis so everybody had the right to make mistakes basically but if the mistake become repetitive then it, it's a problem but one has to be very careful not to have a system where you know you're going to freeze your organization because nobody wants to do anything because the rules are such that it's better for people not to do anything rather than taking risk if they are sanctioned, basically. So, you know, a, a, a company is not the army, basically, and uh, you have to manage people very, very differently. The concept of discipline, you know, is important because, um, you know, there are a certain number of things to do, you know, but the you know, I was educated for a few years in a Jesuit school, and the Jesuit have the concept of autodiscipline, which is uh, uh, actually the best one, where, you know, it's not the rules which, um, you know, uh, guide you to what you do, but it's making sure that uh, you put in the mind of people that they have themselves to be disciplined and it's their own choice to follow the rules, basically. And the Jesuits are absolutely brilliant about education. And so, you know, we didn't have, I was 18 at the time, you know, we didn't have coercive rules, 
but everybody was behaving properly because the Jesuits instilled with us the sense of uh, self-discipline, if you want, which um, is extremely important. And if uh, in a company you can apply that as well, then you're successful, whether than having you know a coercive system, which um, is uh, you know not going to be successful and which actually might have a negative impact that people are not going to do anything or not going to take risk. And when you're in a company, you have to take risk and uh, you have the right to fail, you know, not only by not following the rule, but by trying to invest in something, developing a product, different account relationship. If you never fail, I mean that you'd never take the right uh, uh, risk in order to achieve something. So you have to encourage that as well. So there's a, if you want a, a, a balance between you know, having the proper discipline, but at the same time, giving the ability to everybody to develop. And this is why I mentioned, you know, taking younger uh, members of the team to give them some task where you empower them and you pass the message that the institution be, believe in younger people in order to drive the change or in order to develop uh, other things. You know, not to say that you know, more mature uh, professionals are not useful for a company, and they are. They have uh, the expertise, the memory, so they are very, very useful. But at the same time, you, know, you need to think laterally and you need to employ younger people you know, to, to try you know, a certain number of uh, uh, process or, or ideas uh, to see if they will be successful or not. And you can never be successful if uh, you don't fail. Failure is the best way to be successful in the future. Failure is the best teacher. You're absolutely right. Exactly. Well, it can be it can be tricky, right? Some people do not react well when they fail. You know, they uh, I guess there are someone that probably are naive enough to to, to understand to, to think that they you can do things without uh, taking risks and without making mistakes. But it's not true. I mean, it's, uh, we do mistakes every every I'm not saying every day, but you know, quite often. And of course, some mistakes have a big impact. Others are much smaller, but still, you know, it's it's the, really the essence of the learning. That's uh, the is the essence of um, understanding and adapt to your circumstances. Um, going back to the banking system, because that that you mentioned earlier, you know, you say that you know that the one of the, one of the thing that you um, enforce if you want is to listen to even young generations and learning from them and, and and listen to their point of view their perspective i wonder what is that you have noticed you know in these uh generational shifts that we um, we have how does new generations coming into uh the workplace approach it how do they how do they do they see uh, the professional life compared to you that have a longer experience i think um, you know you have to to look at uh, different things in in a company what is uh, important is first of all is the clients i mean a company without clients does not exist basically and um, a new generation can actually when you have uh, individual clients, basically individual people like clients, like a bank as individual clients, can actually understand better what are the needs of the client or what are the change of the changes of the needs of the clients. So you know that's uh, something which is important uh, important to listen to, uh, because otherwise you just uh, remain uh, you know within a, a framework which um, you know is too rigid and uh, which. Uh, 
can become prehistoric to a certain extent and everybody knows what happened to the dinosaurs. So that's uh, the, the first thing. The second thing is, um, uh, as we discussed, is um, you know to um, have a, a different way to handle things, which might be the use of technology, but also you know, a perpendicular approach to some of the topics, uh, um, you know, you're dealing with, which um, you know, can give, uh, you know, better quality of service, better efficiency, you know, in the process. And, um, you know, by mixing younger people together, when you mix different type of uh, knowledge and expertise, you then could have innovation. Innovation very rarely comes from, um, you know, a silo where you know, people are just experts of uh, one field. It comes when you mix up people from different fields and then they can generate uh, an alternative view of a problem because they each use their own skills and uh, they mix them together. And, and I think um, you know, younger population or, or younger employees you know, are always very keen to learn because they, you know, they, they have developed expertise, but, you know, they still have to develop more. So they are very happy to exchange with others and, and to progress on that. So new product or better service uh, uh, quality or different approach can come by this mixing of uh, expertise where I said, you know, when you want to improve a process, you move from people who are on the marketing side to a product side to the IT side and, and to the accounting side, for instance. So that I think is very important for the younger generation. And then there is a, a last issue, which is the ability to create an environment where people are motivated and uh, where they feel they can build up their career. I mean, the younger generation has a tendency to rotate and to move from one employer to another you know, much more than the previous generation. But when you're in a large institution, you have actually very different uh, 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 companies within the companies, meaning that you could have the sales organization, you could have the product organization, could have the IT, you could have uh, different countries. So in fact, you can provide to the younger generation the ability to rotate from one job to another, from one country to another, so that they can build up their expertise while staying within the company. And uh, I try to encourage all the time, you know, by communicating with uh, this uh, younger generation, I was organizing twice a week uh, a breakfast with the CEO where for an hour I was listening to 10 or 12 uh, you know, younger colleagues, basically telling them about the, you know, what we're doing in the bank, the vision, and listening to them about what um, you know, they, they were doing, uh, the issues they were facing, uh, and the ideas they are there. And I think that um, you know, giving them uh, this ability to develop internally within the bank, which is the, if you want the emotional link with the company, where people believe that they are not only paid, so which is their financial remuneration, but they have a, a you know a, a, a non-substantiated remuneration, if you want, or you know, which is uh, their ability to develop their career and uh, you know their, their their own ways of uh, doing things, which I think is important in um, you know the proper work-life balance. And I think the younger generation wants to have a, a work-life balance, which is probably better than the older one, and there as well specifically, you know, post-COVID where remote working, you know, becomes a norm. We have to see how the work-life balance can be the best achieved because it's too easy 
you know, to be, you know, within, uh, you know, the attention frame of, of a, you know, of a colleague by sending a mail, you know, calling for Zoom and whatever at uh, any hours of the day. So respecting the work-life balance of everybody, specifically the younger generation is important and it can teach us a lot about that. I love what you say, you know, and uh, actually one of the things that I have appreciated, one of the many things I appreciated in my military life, as, as you as you mentioned earlier, the military is always a big organization, right? So I had, like many, the opportunity to really change often. I been I started as a surface officer, warfare, a surface warfare officer. So operations and communications were my field, and then I switched to intelligence and then I switch to logistics and then I switch to uh, political strategic you know very very high high level <clears throat> position and I love the fact that every two three years I was going to do something different and even within the same position I had the opportunity to talk to people from different countries, meet people from different cultures and exchange ideas with those. And it's was so enriching. So I'm so I think I, I consider myself lucky on that on the on the point. And and that has contributed to build the person that I am, uh, the leader that I am and in a, such a uh, deep way, if you want. Yeah, I fully agree with that. And I, and I think in a company, it should be left by chance, you know, for the the different uh, uh, you know colleagues. So, when I was meeting my uh, colleagues for this breakfast with the CEO uh, session, you know, they were asking me, "Yo, do you have some advice for us for our career?" And I said, uh, all the time, I was telling them, "Don't have a career plan. It's the worst thing you could do." So. Try to go outside of your comfort zone while you're still young by building up, you know, different skills and expertise. You're going to feel that you're losing a lot versus people and colleagues who are staying in the same field and being hyper expert. But you will see that if you go out of your comfort zone and you learn more, you're going to be a very good professional at the end and never forget one thing, which is that, um, you know, the difference between uh, a successful uh, uh, employee in an institution and the less successful is never because of IQ. Uh, because what we do in normal companies is uh, not very difficult. You don't need to be a nuclear scientist to be successful in a large company, but you need to have the right EQ, meaning that you need to have the ability and the capability to work with others, to motivate your colleagues and to create a dynamic where people will be happy and willing to work with you on any project. And you know, the way to motivate individuals, as we discussed uh, earlier, you know, is actually a very, very big differentiator between having a good career and having an excellent career, specifically if you go out of your comfort zone regularly and build up a wide expertise. And this opens the door to the emotional intelligence and it's another hour of conversation <laughs> we uh we are running out of time so i um i want to ask you my final question that is um if someone comes to you Jean-Pierre, and ask for a good advice on how to become uh, a good leader other than all you actually what you just said about you know being open to get out of the comfort zone and learn something new, what other would you rec what, what else would you recommend to this person? 
I think in addition to what we, we said, which is go out of your comfort zone, you know, learn how to motivate people, is be yourself. I mean, it's uh, in a company to have uh, normal people who have, um, you know, a normal interaction and very healthy interaction with others is actually very important. And you have uh, too often in companies, you know, after, you know, when people get uh, a little bit more uh, season in the companies and and uh, with uh, you know more expert you know people just um, you know behave maybe not in a natural way thinking about how they can develop their career against others rather than with others so if you're yourself you're a balanced person you have a, a natural and sound relationship with others you're going to be successful so go outside of your comfort zone you know, learn different expertise develop your EQ and uh, just be yourself without any, you know, career plan is the best way to be successful. And that's great. Thank you very much, Jean-Pierre, for your wisdom, for having spent time with us and for sharing your experience, your idea, and your approach on leadership. It's been a great conversation and I have loved especially your leading by example approach and how actually you apply to it and what it, what it means to do it in a difficult and a complex, no, I don't want to say difficult, in a complex environment like the one of banking. So thank you very much for. Thank you, Stefan, for having me. It was a great pleasure. Mm -hmm.